Aloha, everyone. On behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we wanted to take a moment to thank our team members for working through these trying times. And we wanted to thank our community for not just supporting us, but most importantly, supporting each other amid this climate of change and continued uncertainty. It is difficult to fathom some of the recent tragedies that have occurred, but what we can do collectively is aspire to be better for one another. We don't want to disrupt this message by taking time to promote some meaningless special. All that can be found on our website or app. Instead, once again, mahalo for your strength and your character. And we look forward to our very special community here in Hawaii getting back to work and making the world a better place. And with that, let's talk sports. Hey, what's up, Jordan? How's it going, man? Glad to uh, be able to talk with you in the aftermath of Hurricane Douglas. Uh, we will get to that in a moment. It has been a pretty trying last 24 to 48 hours here in the islands, uh, but we got to warm things up a little bit. And so we'll uh, get to this pregame topic, the H logo, uh, the green H with the top of trim, as Rob DeMello likes to describe it. Uh, it turns 20 here this week. And so we'll warm things up with just the very simple question, which logo for the University of Hawaii for the athletics department do you prefer? Is it the H? Is it the rainbow UH logo that preceded it? Uh, where do you go, Jordan? It's 20 years. Can you believe that? That's, That's great. It's almost old enough for a beverage, the <laughs> green H with the top of trim. I'm old school, man. I, I, I don't dislike the – Top of H, but I, I got to go with the rainbow logo, man. I got to go with the UH with the rainbow. I think I just, there's something timeless about it. There is something just majestic about that rainbow logo. Uh, and so I always have that at the top of my power. Rank. I love some of the old UH football helmet sticker decals, you know, kind of the, the Heisman Menehune, if you will. Uh, some of those are pretty classic as well. There's some pretty vintage H's out there as well. But uh, the UH with the rainbow, that's, that's always top of my list. Yeah, I can understand, though, uh, the Kurt Osaki-designed H logo, why it is central to what the University of Hawaii's rebranding process was about, right? It, it was, I think, a little more mainstream. It has introduced itself to places around the country that perhaps uh, weren't so attuned to University of Hawaii sports, even just on an aesthetic level. Uh, that said, I think what's interesting is the UH logo, which I agree, you know, that's, that's from my childhood. And so I'll always sort of have a special place in my heart for that one. But it's interesting how it has ascended to almost this alternative, abstract, stylish uh, status as a UH you know, identifiable symbol. Like, I think it's kind of cool how it is graduated to that. Like now they'll just on occasion bust out the old UH rainbow logo and it'll drive people insane. And even nationally people are recognizing what the rainbow logo represents for Hawaii. And I think that's uh, pretty darn cool, but 20 years. And I remember the first unveiling at the Stan Sheriff Center. And this is kind of typical UH stuff right here, but they had four panels uh, that were covering the H logo at midcourt on the Stan Sheriff Center hardwood floor, you know, drum roll, a big run up to the unveiling and they had four panels and three cheerleaders. And so they only pulled three of the four panels off. And there was one that was sitting right in the middle of the logo and they had to take a few extra seconds after the big confetti and, you know, symbol action. And it was supposed to be the big moment. They had to kind of go back, scramble back a few seconds later to pull the other panel off. And it was just kind of typical UH, but you know, the message was still delivered. <laughs> 
All right, time to welcome you to the show. Let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley. And we have a general manager from the NBA. In fact, a world champion general manager joining us here for an interview on the show. Bobby Webster, Kailua native, Iolani graduate. Uh, and he, of course, is the general manager of the Toronto Raptors. Um, this guy has already done some stuff. He has already accomplished quite a bit in his very young career as a general manager, already a world title. He has gone through one of the more high-profile free agent recruiting processes uh, with regard to Kawhi Leonard, who ended up going to the Clippers, but helped them win that title. And he'll talk about all of that stuff, uh, including life in the bubble, because, yes, he joins us from the bubble. So we're looking forward to uh, talking with Bobby Webster. He's a good one. Yeah, he is, man. Uh, as you mentioned, he's not an old guy by any means, especially in that position, in that profession. Uh, but he's, he's accomplished quite a bit. And a uh, little peek, little peek inside the bubble there. All right, it's game time. Let's get to it. Uh, and we're going to start because we are now officially, we can get the T-shirts made, maybe the bumper stickers. We survived Hurricane Douglas. And I'm not really sure still in the aftermath how we did it. Now, we are recording this here Monday morning after the Sunday where we were all glued to our TV sets and or radios trying to follow and track this hurricane. But uh, in the end, Category 1, which looked like it was just going to pummel right into the entire island chain and sort of gradually was targeting each island along the way and just threatening every island along the way. Uh, we dodged that thing like the Matrix, baby. Yeah, the, the worst thing with these storms, right, it's a lot of waiting. Like, the, the good part now is you get a pretty good indication. You get the warnings. You get all the notifications that, hey, this thing is coming. You got to prepare. You got to go get your water. You got to stock up, right, get some ice for the coolers and all that kind of stuff. And then you wait. And then you wait till it comes. Uh, and it came awfully close. Uh, but thankfully, it, 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 the impacts were pretty minimal. Uh, you know, no reports of major damage here on the island where we're at sort of in our valley, if you will. Um, you know, you don't live too far away, but, uh, the, the stream impacts, you can tell how much rain we got up in the mountains by just how much the river is raging. Uh, and it, there wasn't a whole lot of rage to it. Not going to lie. I went, you know, mid afternoon yesterday after everything, the sky started to clear up a little bit. Um, and it wasn't that much. It, it really wasn't. Uh, and, and I was thoroughly surprised because sometimes at lower elevations, you don't get quite the rain that you get up in the mountains, which of course can cause the flooding, but. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, it was Barry Sanders-level elusiveness for the islands yesterday because that thing, that thing came as close as you possibly can without – I mean, it sort of touched us, but the, the, the level of damage, I, I was shocked shocked and uh you know we gotta be thankful for it yeah you're absolutely right we gotta thank our lucky stars because i don't know how many other times i mean like at, at some point you're thinking like all right it's, it's gonna hit us and poor Kauai has been slammed by eva and iniki and um you know i'm just very thankful that we were all as a collective island chain uh, able to dodge that thing uh, and we uh live on to podcast another day that's uh that's the best part about it all right let's get into some other game time topics Pack West Conference, and this is kind of a biggie, Jordan. Of course, their commissioner is Bob Hogue, former KHON2 sports director, but uh, he has been the commissioner for that conference for a while now. That is the conference of which University of Hawaii Hilo, Hawaii Pacific University, Chaminade are all part of. It is an NCAA Division II conference. They announced here this weekend that uh, they were going to be postponing their fall sports completion to 2021 so their fall sports competition is going to be postponed until after january 1st uh, they have not made a decision as to winter sports they are a non-football conference and so uh, what is interesting 
for me in, in watching this is not just the impact it's going to have on some of our Hawaii institutions, uh, but also perhaps the influence that or the example that it may set for other Division I non-football conferences, namely one that certainly is impactful with regard to the University of Hawaii, the Big West Conference. So first off, your reaction to the PacWest making this decision, obviously out of concern for the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, and if you see this as a viability for a conference like the Big West. Yeah, and not surprised, right? We're, we're seeing, especially at a lot of the lower divisions, um, the, the move to, to postpone everything, move it out of the fall. Uh, PacWest, pretty significant, right? I mean, it's a fairly big conference, kind of the preeminent private institution conference in the western half of the United States in Division Two. Uh, so th- this is a pretty big move, and, and I do think, especially for the Big West, right, the non-football playing Division One conferences, right, one AAA as some people call it, um, it makes so much sense, right, because football really does seem to be the thing holding everything up, right? It is the thing that colleges and academic institutions are going to hold on to for dear life in terms of financial stability and everything. And so if you're not playing football or if you're not playing revenue generating football you're probably a little more likely to just concede here and and push everything back and and I do think uh for the big west you know it's a it's a good women's volleyball conference that's their marquee fall sport without a doubt with the likes of Hawaii and Cal Poly Long Beach State over the years but it just it just makes so much more sense uh and especially in a state in California where cases are rising um you know I I think I think we'll we'll probably see that. I, I think we'll probably see that in the Big West, um, where they push things back. As as we mentioned, that football without football as the anchor, I think we'll see most of those conferences make that move, just like the Pac West did. Yeah, and I think the fact that they're not able to at the collegiate level because of campus location, just the travel that's involved, they're not able to realistically consider a bubble type of scenario. Maybe conferences can suggest, "Oh, we'll play conference only." But particularly for conferences like the Pac-12 and other conferences in the Western region that are so sprawled out, you're not going to be able to avoid the air travel. And so that sort of ties into our next topic, which is Major League Baseball is back, kind of. You have two announced postponements today due to an outbreak of the coronavirus in the Marlins clubhouse. So the Marlins, Orioles, Yankees, Phillies games, both postponed. Uh, That is because up to 13 known positive coronavirus cases surged within the Marlins clubhouse. Uh, They were scheduled to play the Orioles, and then they just came out of a series with the Phillies. And so the Phillies game against the Yankees is postponed because the Phillies have to then now go through the testing. Uh, And so I guess the first question as it pertains to what we were just discussing with regard to the Big West Conference and the announcement from the Pac West Conference is Derek Jeter, who's running the Miami Marlins at the moment, is saying that, you know, part of the problem was we had to travel. They had to travel to Philadelphia for this opening series. And we are just a few games into this thing. And it appears as though the travel aspect of Major League Baseball's setup is what has fed into this outbreak of the coronavirus or at least positive tests within that organization. That just makes it that much more difficult to fathom how college conferences and college teams are going to navigate through this thing. I mean, it, it seems to be that as though that's the biggest threat right now with regard to positive tests. And people can debate all day about the significance of positive tests for people within certain age ranges and all of that stuff. But obviously, the goal here is to prevent positive tests as much as possible. And it seems as though the travel aspect 
of these sports setups, particularly at the college level, introduces the greatest amount of threat. Yeah, absolutely. And we've already seen some, I think, maybe some failures or some oversights in terms of just the policy in Major League Baseball, right? Uh, there were apparently the Braves are in this as well because they played a couple of exhibition games against the Marlins prior to the end of last week's restart of regular season baseball. Um, the fact that some of the Marlins had tested positive and some were awaiting tests, but maybe participated in the game on Sunday while awaiting the test results. And the resources there at Major League Baseball's level, at professional sports level, are significantly more than a collegiate level. And so if there are flaws in that system, oversights in that system, and, or lack of resource, whatever the reasoning is here, there are going to be less of those safeguards at the collegiate level just because of the, the, the amount of resources uh, that are afforded to them. And, and maybe you can say some of the big money schools, right, some of the Power Five conferences, um, they've got the pockets to do that. Maybe that's the case. Uh, but if we're going to talk about the Big West, if we're going to talk about the Mountain West, uh, conferences that the University of Hawaii belongs to. That's not the case. Like, that's just not that much money to go around, uh, let alone on, you know, uh, frivolous maybe is too strong a word, but these type of tests, right, to just make ensure that, that athletics can go on, right, while you're trying to conduct classes and everything else on top of a university's responsibility. So, yeah, the, the, the big puka here for, the, for Major League Baseball within the first four days of the season, uh, I think very much shows – advanced level of risk and uncertainty that comes with trying to play sports here that involve travel it's outside of the bubble type of sports setups yeah and major league baseball was actually the the first organization or the first league to at least from what i recall to introduce the idea of the bubble remember they were thinking about oh we'll mm -hmm. just bring all the teams to arizona and we'll use all of the spring training facilities over there and we'll play all our games there the nba then sort of took that baton and they turned it into what we are seeing in the bubble in orlando and we'll talk to bobby webster of the raptors here shortly about that but should major league baseball have just followed through with that initial bubble idea because uh, it does appear as though the sports wnba mls the sports that have adhered to that idea where they can uh, control the environment a little bit more and, and establish isolation. And even though it's not ideal for players to be away from their families for periods of time, all of that kind of thing, it does appear as though that is starting to pay dividends as far as giving those leagues the greatest chance of actually completing the season. We're just a few days into this Major League Baseball, a bridge season. We're already seeing postponements, Jordan. That's just not a great indication. No, it's not. And we've seen the uh, juxtapose. We've seen the pretty strong success of the bubble elsewhere, right? There have been some hiccups for sure. Um, in the NWSL, you know, the Orlando team had to pull out in terms of women's soccer, their bubble in Utah. Two MLS teams had to pull out before the restart uh, of their tournament in Orlando. But since then, it has been very solid. Um, the NHL, which hasn't restarted yet, just came out today and said they conducted over a thousand tests, zero positive cases. Is they're going to, you know, sequester in two bubble cities, if you will, both north of the border in Toronto and Edmonton? Um, but it seems to be that model has proven to be much more successful here in the United States. I think just the the vast geography of the U.S. As much as Major League Baseball tried to to keep things regional, right? Uh, everybody in the West is going to stay in the West. Everybody in the Central is going to stay in the Central. Everybody in the East is going to stay in the East. 
that's still a long trip from Miami to Philadelphia or Miami to wherever, right? Or Buffalo is as north as they're going to have to go now that the Blue Jays have found a home. Uh, it, it's still a lot of travel and a lot to ask. And, and uh, you know, it's not a colossal failure yet. I mean, we're four days in, but it's not a great sign that four days in, they're already, they're already postponing games because of that, whilst the other leagues around the, the country have, have kind of figured it out in terms of the bubble. And I know the NBA hasn't started regular season games yet, so maybe I'm getting out ahead of it. But it just seems like that's been the better idea so far. Yeah, I mean, the only people who are immune to the possibility of this virus as it pertains to Major League Baseball are the cutout fans at ballparks. I mean, they're really the only ones who are safe uh, in this entire equation, which leads us to finally a non-coronavirus sports topic here, Jordan. And that is, what have you thought about what Major League Baseball games have looked like. They've had the cutout fans. Some organizations are, are doing different promotions where fans can pay for the cutout. And if the foul ball or the home run hits the cutout, they actually will mail those fans the ball. I think that's kind of cool. Uh, they have piped in sound. What do you think about the aesthetics of Major League Baseball's presentation so far? Well, one, it was great to just see baseball. It was so fun uh, opening day, Thursday, kind of everybody back on the field, Friday, Saturday. Uh, I love that it, it really seems like every game does mean a little bit more, right? And, and obviously it does with the 60-game regular season. Um, I love that every team in the league has one win or one loss. We don't have anybody hot out of the gates. We don't have anybody just absolutely falling flat out of the gates. So that, that's a little fun aspect. I've loved the three-batter minimum for pitchers. We don't see the constant pitching changes uh, as much as a National League purist as I am as a Cubs fan. Uh, the DH thing is great. <laughs> um, the universal DH, I'm on board. I mean, it's only been like three games in for the Cubs, but I'm, <laughs> I'm on board. Uh, I like the cardboard cutouts. I don't mind those at all. I think it's fun. I think it's a way to get fans involved. Uh, you can put them up on the Jumbotron or what have you. I am not here for the digitized um, fans. I just... I don't get it. Like, why do I need to see fake people who aren't actually like the players can't see those people, the, the video game uh, deal in the outfield. Like is one of them going to catch the home run ball that, that escapes into the bleachers or something like that. I not for me, the pipe, the piped in crowd noise also not really my thing. Um, I, I don't mind the organ playing. I don't mind some music being played, obviously some walk-up music or something like that. You know, the music they play after somebody hits a home run or something like that, get the, the players involved. But the the clapping after, like, a pop-up is caught, um, I just, I don't know. It seems a little too artificial to me. I agree with that. And part of what I was looking forward to here in the relaunch of sports was, you know, the novelty of the different kind of environment and, and the, the more stoic environment. And maybe we were going to be able to hear uh, and maybe even these leagues would mic up players and, and officials uh, and, and coaches or managers uh, so that we could hear some of that discussion a little bit more. And that hasn't quite been the case. I, I kind of thought Major League Baseball would buy into something like that more, which I think would give us so much more of a viewing fan experience than, oh, there's some computer-generated graphic fans that are sitting in the stands, but you can only see them from this one camera angle. You can't see them from the other. And it's just kind of weird and, and messy, and I agree with you, a little too artificial. Uh, and so I actually think Major League Baseball missed out on the opportunity to allow us a little more access into the intricacies, more of the intimacies of the game. Uh, and I'm not sure if we're necessarily going to get that from the NBA 
either. I, I think we're, we're closer to the court there, so there's more of a possibility. But I was looking forward to that, and I'm a little disappointed that that didn't quite come to fruition, at least from what we've seen so far. All right, we're going to uh, skip some of the NBA discussion because we're going to have uh, Bobby Webster on here in a moment. Uh, but I wanted to touch on one more thing because uh, we were uh, off for a few days last week and we didn't really get a chance to talk about this. But it looks as though all of the speculation about Mike Tyson getting back into the boxing ring is going to come to fruition officially uh, because he has an opponent now. And it is none other than Roy Jones Jr. An eight-round exhibition bout has been scheduled for September 12th in Carson, California. Tyson is 54 years old. Jones is 51. Tyson 50 and 6 in his career. Jones 66 and 9. You could suggest that both these guys were the biggest thing in boxing at different periods over the course of their careers. Uh, What do you think about this matchup? Yeah, if this was... I don't know, 20 years ago, this would be as big a fight as we could make. I mean, it's Roy Jones Jr. who it, The guy was untouchable for a while, right? It, all these different weight classes and, and, and maybe the classiest fighter um, in terms of just pound for pound there for a stretch. Uh, here's Iron Mike, right? He hasn't fought in, what, 15 years? Uh, and 15 years ago, he was 39 years old. He was already old 15 years ago. Now he's 54. Um, when, when we saw him working out, when we saw the videos and the clips of him hitting the bag and going through some sparring sessions, what, a couple of months ago, and he just looked jacked. I mean, just in peak physical condition. We we're like, well, hey, uh, I, don't know if, I don't know if he should fight again, but if he does, I'm probably going to watch. And I'm probably going to watch this, right? This isn't some chump off the street. This isn't somebody who uh, we've never heard of. Like, it's Roy Jones Jr. that he's going to fight here. And I don't know what Roy's got left, right? The end of his career was kind of, it kind of tailed off because the dude was fighting till he was in his mid forties and still in, in great physical shape. So I, I don't know what it's going to look like. I, it might be just this very sad deal where you got two guys in their fifties, but they have no business throwing punches at, a, at anybody else and taking punches from anybody else. But I mean, it's hard to argue with the star power here, right? Well, we've talked about it before on the radio show, right? Where we were always thinking it might be an interesting idea to have a golden division, not just for boxing, (laughs) but maybe for UFC as well, where it's just like the old guys. Is this perhaps the entree? If this thing goes well and it looks good, is this the entree to the golden division in boxing, Jordan? It might be. It might, especially if it makes money, right? Especially if it makes money. Uh, Heck, the UFC just trotted out the the trilogy fight this past weekend between – uh, Shogun Hua and Nogera, uh, those guys fought back in pride like 15 years ago in Japan, and it was actually a pretty entertaining fight. I'm not going to lie. Those two guys are kind of old um, at this point in their careers. Uh, and it, if, it, if it's a competitive fight, right, and, and it's not a situation where somebody just safety-wise shouldn't be in there, I mean, it, could, it very well could be. You trot some of these guys out there, and I know especially the heavyweight division has gone under a bit of a renaissance, right, with the likes of Tyson Fury and the characters that exist there. And, and a bit more of the attention being drawn back to the big guys in boxing and not just the little guys. But if, if, you, if you bring Mike Tyson back out there, if you bring guys like Roy Jones back out there, uh, and it's somewhat competitive uh, and it makes money, this, this, might be, this might be the business model. You're right. And you can tell that this isn't just a money grab because they're putting other serious fights on the card, like YouTube star Jake Paul taking on three-time NBA dunk champ Nate Robinson. Uh, I mean, that's clearly not a money grab. That is a legitimate sporting event right there, is it not? My goodness, man. <laughs> Jake Paul, does Jake Paul just box now? 
are, are, people are aligned enough to punch that dude in the face, though. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's probably not the, they probably don't have to ask too many guys to, to step in the ring with him. Agreed there. All right, let's get to our Domino's Hawaii main topping. It is our interview with Bobby Webster. He is the general manager of the Toronto Raptors. He is in the bubble. Iolani alum, Kailua native. Uh, he's going to be talking with us about life in the bubble and what this season portends for the Toronto Raptors. So let's go ahead and play that interview right now. All right, Bobby, great to be talking with you, man. Uh, you are in the bubble. Uh, before we get to that, you know, obviously we were going through some drama here in the islands yesterday with Hurricane Douglas just slipping by. We dodged that thing like the Matrix. Uh, but you obviously have family back here in Hawaii, so how concerned with Doug were you? You know, always concerned, obviously. Uh, you know, my, my parents live there. You know, majority of my, my mom's family, my sister lives there, so... Uh, you know, checking in, checking in almost, you know, hourly. And like, it sounds like most people, it was, it was pretty calm. There's a little bit of wind, a little bit of clouds, but uh, yeah, luckily, luckily again, we, uh, we had a Madam Pele help us out again. So. Yeah, that is pretty wild. I mean, this one was, you know, just looking at some of the projections and some of the predicted path of this thing. Like, I don't know how we got past this one. Like this one appeared as though it was primed to do uh, unprecedented levels of damage. Yeah, every single path had to come in right for Oahu and Kauai, and then they added Maui at the last second. So um, my my only thought here is the uh, the ancient Hawaiians when they when they uh, arrived on the islands, you know, probably a few hundred years where there weren't big hurricanes, so they decided to stay. <laughs> yeah, you're probably right about that. Uh, well, you're in the bubble as mentioned, so give us an idea, a sense of what bubble life here uh, with this uh, in- incredibly uh, unique. A restart of the NBA season is like? Yeah, I mean, with everything that's happened since March, uh, with obviously with COVID and, and the racial issues, I think just coming into this, there was a degree of anxiety that we were all living with. And so, um, you know, obviously with, the, with, with, with COVID, I think people were concerned about the testing and how are we going to get in here and how safe was the bubble going to be. Um, but, you know, knock on wood, we've had a, you know, a good run here, I think, of, of no positive tests. So it's still a degree of uncertainty. And, you know, we wear masks all the time. And, and it's definitely a very, um, you feel safe within the bubble. Um, but there's always that, you know, which is, you know, you come into contact with different people. You're, you know, you're obviously physical distancing and all that. It's, it's, it's tough. But the daily life is, I think the best way to describe it for most people is it's kind of like a a summer basketball camp or whatever sport you went to, right? You kind of went for the week and you couldn't really leave the campus. You kind of had food and you had practice every day and you, and you know, maybe you could go out and go hike or you could go, you know, go check out the campus, but you can't really, you know, leave the perimeter here. Um, and so there's a lot of just hanging out with, with friends and sometimes people on other teams or your own staff, but it's, it's actually pretty simple. You wake up, you know, you maybe, you know, maybe you have a, an exercise in the morning, you get some food, you go to practice and, and your day's done. Anything else as far as just general activities that, that the bubble has to offer? I mean, it's, it's a pretty widespread array of uh, opportunities for activities there, right? Yeah, they got some bass fishing. I think we're going to go bass fishing on, on Wednesday. So fishing is a good uh, physical distancing uh, activity as well. You know, you can, you can get out on the lake or put, you know, couple people on the boat or just go from the bridge um you know it's all typical stuff you got cornhole you got uh you know people people down by the pool it's you know i think there's some beach volleyball going on so you said it's a it's a it's a simpler time 
I have been pretty impressed with some of the uh, tans exhibited by guys like Luka Doncic. You know, I mean, like it, they, it, they look like Academy Awards. They're so bronzed. It's unbelievable. You got the tans. You got the hair. They finally opened the barbershops here, so you'll probably see some some better grooming. Uh, they got they got uh, you can get your beard done. You got uh, a mani pedi. You can you know, it's full service. Um, Honestly, the hardest part is probably just being being apart from your family. Everything else is pretty good. The food's pretty good. Uh, obviously, listen, we get paid to watch basketball and 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 do that, so that's that's not a tough part. Uh, but probably being away from your family, uh, wife. I have two young kids, so that's probably the toughest part. Yeah, but how how long um, do you pack for? Do you kind of allow yourself to look at the the duration of this thing? I mean, because the Raptors, man, you guys are in a, a great position to to be there. You know, fairly long, especially compared to you know, position in the standings. Yeah, our, our, our messaging, and we thought about this, you know, before we coming in here, you know, back to October, um, and, and that's been it. And I think it's, it's a, it's a, it makes sense from a, you know, leadership and management standpoint, but I do think it allows you to manage it better. If you came in here and said, I'm, you know, I'm week to week or a month to month, I think you'd probably, you know, deal with some, you know, mental health issues. So now we, we came in fully expecting that we'd be here until October. Um, I think it's probably close to a hundred days and, and we're fine, you know, settled in and, and rocking and rolling. Yeah. Well, what kind of role did, did, did you and the front office staff have in, in terms of getting the team ready? And, and there's been some, some dominoes to fall and, and guys opting out, opting in and, and maybe less so with, with you guys, but you know, what, what, what kind of role did, did the front office have in terms of preparing the team to get into this restart and, and get everybody in the right mindset to, uh, to go ahead and start playing competitive basketball again? Yeah, that's a good question. So if, if you kind of go back to March when all this went down, so if you, if you guys remember, obviously Rudy Gobert was the first one to go down, our first one to, you know, publicly um, test positive. And we actually played Rudy the game before. So we played Rudy on a Monday night and it kind of hit us really quick. So, you know, we had to scramble in Toronto. We got everybody tested. I think around two or three a.m. in the morning after after the game in Oklahoma City got canceled. So we it kind of the seriousness of it. I think it hit us early, and we were all in quarantine, and everyone was educating themselves. Um, but even from that point, I think our goal all along was once we figure out the timing of when this thing starts, let's ramp it up in a way that we're peaking in the playoffs. And so March and April, like you know, most of the world is pretty quiet for us, and so we were. We didn't want to kind of put everything on the players early and say, stay in shape, you know, work out nonstop. It was more like, okay, let's, let's play this thing out. And once we have a general time timeline, then how do we, you know, start planning six, eight weeks out so that in this case, we're ready for, you know, August, September and October, and we're not, you know, worn out or, or we haven't peaked in July. And so once we, once we figured out we'd be coming down here in July, it was just a gradual buildup. Um, and, and it's been good. You know, I think the, the goal here was to, ramp up, get ready for the playoffs, um, make sure our guys medically, uh, you know, you don't want to go from inactivity to NBA, you know, caliber games right away. And so what does that, what does that look like? And how do you work with your medical staff and nutritionists and team psychologists and all of that? So it's really a, honestly, it's pretty all around holistic approach to making sure everyone's, you know, peaking at the right time. And obviously the driving force of this whole restart is the fans and the television audience. And so to put something together that looks 
presentable on television and still looks like NBA basketball, uh, that's such a challenge. And I think at least through some of these scrimmages that have been televised, uh, I can say from watching it, it, it looks pretty darn good. I mean, as good as you can possibly uh, expect, perhaps under the circumstances. Uh, but it is such a major endeavor to think of all of the moving parts that go into something like this. How much input did each franchise, did you as representative of the Toronto Raptors, how much input did you have in just the composition of what this whole restart in the bubble and, and, and just the way the games are presented? Uh, how much input did you have? Yeah, a lot. You know, we're, we're on calls daily with the NBA and they're, you know, super receptive and obviously starts at the top with Adam. It's super receptive to, listen, we run the league, you know, we run the team. I mean, we run the league. We don't run the team. So how, how do you guys want to engage your fans? What do you want it to look like? And so, you know, we're, we're involved in everything from, you know, what do the out of bounds lines look to how do you get, you know, virtual fans into the arena? I think we'll probably have, um, I think over 300 virtual fans. I don't know if you, it's a little different than what you guys are seeing in baseball. I think we're actually going to have people on the screens um, from their houses and they can cheer and do things. So we wanted to, that was a big part too, is I, I think we, we didn't want to just put our guys in sort of a sterile gym environment with no noise. Right. I think playing in front of an empty arena didn't like feel, didn't kind of seem um, fair to the players, especially considering, you know, how they typically play. So how do you, pump in a little bit of obviously noise and music, but how do you give the fans an insight as well? And so um, I think hopefully uh, come the real games next weekend or this coming up weekend, you, you know, we'll get a chance to see what, it, you know, if you're one of the lucky fans selected, you'll, you'll be there. You'll be able to see the game live. Um, I think the players will be able to interact a little bit with the fans and then they'll be able to hear their, their uh, cheering as well. Well, that's pretty cool. Looking forward to that. How pleased are you with just what it currently looks like and sort of how this whole thing has begun rolling in, in the run-up to the official restart opening? I think it looks great. I'll, uh, I'll send you guys some photos before you, if you guys want to post them. But in the arena, it's great. You know, you've got basically these, you know, high-definition LED screens all around the court. Um, you know, they have kind of that uh, they call Broadway lighting. So it's kind of like a Laker game or a Knicks game where, you know, the lights really bright on the court, everything kind of outside's, you know, um, darkened out, but you, you know, players are on stage. This is, this is their moment. And, uh, you know, I can't wait for the, the real games to start. And then, and then the playoffs, the intensity, I think as people are starting to see it, it, you know, you can't, that's what these guys are wired for and they love it. And, and, you know, they can't turn that switch off. Yeah, well, what's been uh, what's been kind of the feedback from the players from from their standpoint? I think I think they say warming up was a little quiet because there's no fans. But once the game gets going, as you guys know, a lot of these guys tune out the fans anyways, right? And they're in their zone, and so I think when they get into the heat of the moment, there's not a ton of um, there's not a, not a ton of awareness of everything going on around them anyways. Um, but we'll see. You know, backdrops are different, shooters. You know, all the things that, that we know that affect these and um, but, you know, it's been good. The game's been good. They've been competitive. And, uh, you know, when the stakes get ratcheted up another notch, we'll, uh, we'll see even better basketball. Are the, I think there are three different courts, arenas, if you will. That they're, Are they all pretty identical in terms of, of the setup? And uh, do, do you get to be in the, the physical gym, if you will, while, while, you, while the Raptors are playing? Yeah, so three different gyms. Like you said, you probably can't tell a ton of difference on TV. A lot of it's kind of the back of house. What does the locker room look like? What does the training room look like? But yeah, I'm, I'm right there. Um, so if you got if, if the court's scanning the the players and you can see them kind of sitting down, we're just on the near side, just watching from kind of where 
you know, a couple rows up essentially on the other side. But yeah, there's a, you hear all the trash talking as people are talking about it. You hear all the, the arguments with the refs. Um, and so that's a little bit of the, the added color that we get. Yeah, I'm kind of here for all of that. To be able to hear a little bit more clearly and crisply some of the trash talk, I'm definitely here for that. Um, how much interaction is there between players of different teams and franchises uh, throughout the bubble? I mean, I, I, I'm picturing it based on your description of, you know, summer leagues or, or summer tournaments uh, that, you know, you're walking by Kawhi a couple of times a day or you're walking by guys from other teams. Is it like that? It is, but it's professional. We're here for business. And then you also, you know, worry about COVID. So there's, I think within your team, there's a lot of hanging out, but, you know, amongst teams, I think we're all, you know, keeping, keeping our distance for, uh, for a number of reasons, but it's, it's fun. And, and, you know, maybe we'll, we'll jump on this later when the playoffs are going, but, you know, you can imagine, you know, team goes up one Oh, or you got a game seven and, you know, <laughs> you walk downstairs and you got to share an elevator with someone on the opposing team. So there, there's going to be some funny encounters. Yeah, that's what I'm picturing is like you're walking by someone's like, hey, nice game last night, pretty boy, or something like that, you know. Um, but <laughs> you guys. Or, or the other one is, or the other one is, listen, people are going to leave and team's going to lose. And so you got to watch that team, you know, leave the hotel and move out. I mean, there's, there's a lot of, <laughs> there's a lot of interesting social situations. Yeah, no, that's going to be interesting to, to uh, see here as it progresses. Uh, you guys are still the defending world champs. And this thing has been postponed a little bit, but you guys still have. Uh, that moxie to you as you get ready for this restart. Um, how do you feel about the setup of this team and the composition of this team for what is basically a primed up sprint to the end here uh, in Orlando? Like, like most things, like having that be our most recent shared experience, I think is, has been incredible. And, um, you know, even when we had time during, during the pandemic to sit back and think, that togetherness and, you know, being able to fight through so many things last year, I think it, it shines through when, when things start to get tough on the team or maybe a second quarter is not so great or we're down 10 points going into the fourth quarter. I think what it's given them is just, you know, an incredible amount of kind of collective confidence that they can push through anything. And, and you know, I have to think that's an advantage in this scenario where you're in confined quarters, you're going to go through ups and downs. We know that we're going to, you know, win big games, we're going to lose big games, but that ability to stay even keeled and maintain, you know, composure and, and maintain some sense of order within the team is, is super important and not hearing the outside noise. And, you know, I just think back to, you know, our first experience in the finals last year, and it's just madness. You know, you have 200, 300 media people and you don't really get a moment to yourself, but you have to really work hard to create that sense of, you know, it sounds weird, but there was like a little bubble around the team last year. And so then seeing that play out over the course of this season and having success, having the young guys grow has, has just continued that. And so, you know, our guys are confident. They believe in themselves. And so you know, we'll look forward to that. Yeah. How, how confident or, or where is this group in terms of your expectation coming into the year? I mean, you lose a guy like Kawhi Leonard, right? There, there, there's no replacing a player like him, but then this group is still a top three record in the league. Pascal Siakam's taking this leap to the next level. Uh, how confident were you that, that this team would continue on that track uh, to where they're one of the best five teams in the league? Yeah, I think if you just look at all the individual stories of our guys, it's, it's incredible, you know, whether it's Kyle or whether it's, it's Siakam or whether it's Gasol or Van Vliet, like the stories that they all have to get here, Ibaka, um, 
it's, uh, you know, this is, I'm sure to them, just another kind of bump in their road. And, and so, you know, being counted out or being said, you know, you lost, you know, you lost your superstar. How are you going to come back? There was never a sense over the course of the summer that, you know, we're in danger or we're concerned about it. It was more who's going to step up and by how much. It was never a question of if, but when and who and which guys would fill the void. Um, and, and like I said, I think it's a testament to all of those guys individually, what they've overcome and who they are. Is there a, is there a bit of added satisfaction from you and the rest of the front office where, I mean, you, you guys have find, found some, some diamonds in the rough guys that don't necessarily check all the boxes of, of blue bud pedigrees, if you will, uh, of guys coming up and, and then now seeing them grow into the position uh, and the way you just pointed out. You know, I, it's really not as done from, you know, a place of, of being internally motivated. Um, it's, it's not, you know, I think in, in many areas in life, it's not based on the external validation, right? And I think that gives us the ability to, you know, have a season like we've had and, and have the confidence going into the playoffs that, um, you know, the external validation doesn't doesn't bother us. At the same time, the external criticism doesn't bother us. And so there's there's really a sense of, of kind of, intrinsic motivation that that you know permeates throughout the organization you know when I look at, at what you've done already in, in this very young tenure of yours as a general manager in the NBA a world championship going through one of the most high profile free agent recruitment processes uh, in in Kawhi Leonard um, what have those experiences been like for you I mean how valuable is that to experience things like that at this stage of your career yeah, you know, you, you know, still pinch yourself and just how you know how do you get here? And you know, even coming on shows like this, obviously, it's it's a it's a nod to where I came from, and and that's important. So um, I don't know, you know, I I don't know if I have all of the perspective and awareness yet of it. I I you know, every time I think I do, then a year goes by, and I'm like, you know, I didn't know anything, or I thought I knew what was going on, or I thought, you know. I thought I enjoyed the parade, but like I probably could have enjoyed the parade more. You know, there's all these kind of things where you even as, you know, self-reflective as you can be, it's hard in the moment to just kind of grasp the the significance of it all. Um, and to me, all those experiences to me, they're incredibly, you know, important growing opportunities for me as a person. Obviously, professionally, it helps. But, you know, to be in those rooms, to be in those conversations, to have, um, you know, the successes and failures, I think, like anything, it, it you know, lucky to have them but probably even luckier to grow from them and and hopefully one day you know uh, take some of those back to Hawaii. Well speaking of taking things back to Hawaii I was uh, fortunate enough to be with an Iolani contingent up in the Bay Area for game three of the finals last year and uh, after a victory we talked story and you said if we win I'm taking the O'Brien trophy back to Iolani and you did that what was that I mean you talk about validation you talk about experiences and sort of things settling in what was that like? You know, it it was uh is what it's easy to say it and another thing to do it and and my you know my general personality is I'm not a super you know ostentatious or, or showy person and but I did feel um you know incredible amount of gratitude and and um you know need to bring it back and so uh, you know you know Doc and I'm not actually even sure how it happened but it was. Um, you know, I'm coming back, I'm bringing the trophy, and someone said, bring it by Iolani, and I said, okay, and then they said, well, then you're going to speak to, you know, all the staff and the students, and I was like, ah, oh. but um, it, 
you know, kind of goes back to what we said, which is if I can impart any of the experiences I've had, or even just not even have it be anything more meaningful than, hey, it's really cool to see this shiny gold trophy. And I think, you know, if you can kind of hit both of those, which is if you have some stories to tell, but you can, you know, let people take pictures with it and, you know, gawk at it, it's cool too. And so that, that was, that was part of it. And obviously I was nervous going up to speak, but um, I did it. And then I took it back to, I grew up in Kailua, I took it back to the Kailua Rexen where, you know, grew up playing basketball. And that one, I kind of surprised everyone and people were like, what? <laughs> you brought it back here? So that was cool. No, that, that is awesome. How, how much do you get to kind of keep up with basketball back home here, here in Hawaii or, or at Iolani or, or back home in Kailua? How much do you kind of keep tabs of, of what's going on here in the 808 when it comes to hoops? Yeah, most of it's word of mouth, you know, my dad, you know, all, all, you know, my classmates growing up and, you know, it's getting crazy. Some of them are having kids now, right? And some of our, our peers are having kids that are starting to come up. So uh, I keep track of it. I try to support it as much as I can from afar. Um, but it's always cool. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's unique because literally we were, we, you know, we were those kids, you know, and so, uh, you know, for all the people that helped us or gave us some, you know, some sort of guidance or mentorship, um, you know, at some point, how do you give that back? And it's, it's awesome stuff. And, and I kind of transition back to the, the current roster makeup. And I just wanted to kind of ask you this before uh, we got to let you go, Bobby, but the, the mindset of roster building, and, and we kind of touched on the free agency whirlwind that, that was last summer and, and all of those kinds of things. And with the constant movement of players uh, in the league, how challenging is it? Or, or how do you approach sort of roster construction uh, with, with all of that being considered? It's one of the things that I really enjoyed it and it probably keeps me, you know, motivated in a way that, you know, you can go watch, I can go watch basketball for the rest of my life. I can go watch college games, but, um, you know, really putting those different personalities together and basketball skill sets and, you know, obviously understanding who, who we have in a coach is Nick Nurse, like how does that all fit together? Uh, you know, the possibilities are, are, are endless. And so you have, you know, an unlimited number of choices to fill. And so that to me is, is a great challenge that, you know, keeps me up at night or, you know, these are the types of things I can talk about and think about, you know, endlessly. And so um, it is, it's, it's taking a look at the existing, you know, the existing team. So if you have someone like Kyle Lowry, who, you know, is a certain type of player and personality um, and, a, and a huge leader on your team, you know, then you start to, you know, put, put and fit pieces around him and you have Van Vliet and you have Gasol and you have these different players. And so that's the fun of it. And, you know, we make mistakes and we make bad signings and we make bad trades, but um, you know, finding those young players or watching your young players grow up around them and watching them interact and, you know, really develop into a team that trusts each other. I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of um, enjoyment from, from that process. Do you, you talk about being professional. I think that's, that's obviously the utmost priority, but in a situation like the recruitment of Kawhi during his free agency after last season, uh, and then he chooses to go elsewhere. Uh, is there any part of you that struggles with regard to that disappointment or, or struggles to try not to take that too personally on behalf of, of the city or the franchise? What, what, what did that feel like for you? Yeah, I think the, the easy answer is we won a championship with them. So I think that amount of, you know, uh, gratitude and appreciation was there. And so I think, you know, and I always tell people, you know, we wouldn't have done the deal if we were, if we weren't okay with him leaving, 
right? We knew that was an inherent risk. And so it'd almost be like on me or on us as an organization, if like we all of a sudden were, you know, we're salty or we were upset that he left, right? We knew that was a possibility. And, and at the same time, like, you know, it was an incredible run. And so there's, it's, it's like when you said, like, if, if we see him in the hall or I see him in the hall, it, it's all love. It's, you know, how's it going? How's your family? Like, there's no, there's none of that. Um, uh, but it's hard, you know, and like, so you said, it's no, you, there is a disappointment. Someone didn't choose you, you know, like we've all been there and that's not, <laughs> that's not a great feeling, but I think a lot of it is preparing. We prepared ourselves for the moment. We knew that, um, you know, obviously we put our best foot forward and, and 100% respectful and, and, and thankful for, for what he did. All right, last question, and we thank you for your time, but uh, wanted to just touch on, on Masai Ujiri and, and sort of what he means to you, the, the president of the Raptors, who has been very outspoken, certainly, with regard to the Black Lives Matter movement and, and other social issues over the time of his career, uh, has had incidents that have been well-publicized as well uh, that have reflected some of that. Uh, but what have the conversations with him been like from your perspective? How has he helped you in just understanding or, or, or being a little bit more empathetic to kind of everything that's happening right now within our society. Yeah, it's huge. It's something we talk about all the time and, and obviously having, um, you know, a black man as the leader of our organization is incredibly empowering for not only others, but even someone like myself giving me the opportunities. And so I think that's at the, at the core of who he is and he wants to, to better, better society and better the world. And that way he gives back a ton to, ton to Africa um, but to me personally, I think a lot of it, what, what I've been thinking about, um, and, and especially with our players and what we want to do here and, and make an impact is in a lot of ways for me is how, how, to, how can I, you know, potentially help kids in Hawaii? Cause I think there is a unique, you know, racial, um, uh, issues and stuff that are unique to Hawaii and things that I've, I've been thinking a lot about and, you know, who, you know, what is our identity and what do we joke about and, and how do people identify in Hawaii? And so. Um, it's something I've thought a lot and I've spoken a couple of times to people. Um, I spoke to a class on it in, in Hawaii, but it's something that I, I'm, I, I would like to do more with. And I think that, uh, Hawaii is a unique place for good and for bad. And so, um, you know, listening to the people here and listening to how they affect change. Um, there's another guy if people want to look up. He's a senior advisor. His name's Wayne Embry. He was the first black general manager in, in the NBA, broke a lot of racial barriers, um, uh, civil rights activists. And so these are the type of people, people that obviously have the benefit of being around every single day and learning from. Well, uh, I think you have things in a, in a very appropriate perspective. And, and I really appreciate sort of how you continue to reflect upon uh, trying to take some of your experience and the value of it uh, and, and bring it back to Hawaii or share it, share some of those jewels of wisdom uh, with people back here in your home state. Uh, a world champion, general manager, and we wish you uh, the best of luck here in the bubble uh, to try to uh, repeat as world champion uh, in the bubble. That would be pretty awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Fanella. Thanks, Jordan. All right. Big thanks once again to Bobby Webster. Uh, that was a really fun talk and conversation with him. That leads us to our post-game show, our best and worst. This is how we like to end each episode of the podcast, uh, giving our best and worst of what we've seen here in the time since our last episode. So uh, give me your best here for this pod. Yeah, my best. Uh, some guys in, the, uh, in Major League Baseball are taking the whole sanitation thing seriously. Uh, I don't know if you saw this, but it was opening day at Wrigley Field, the Cubs hosting the Brewers and uh, Anthony Rizzo, who might be my favorite athlete uh, of all time. The dude is just as philanthropic as it gets. Uh, first baseman for the Cubs. He's at first. Orlando Arcia is the first base runner of the ball game. 
uh, for the Brewers. Uh, and as he's standing on first base after a single, uh, Rizzo just pops a bottle of hand sanitizer out of the back pocket and offers him uh, some hand sanitizer to, to wipe down a little bit before the, before the next pitch went into play. And th- those two guys had a good chuckle out of it. Uh, he said he came up with the idea from his buddies, but uh, maybe maybe we should just give all the you know the the corner infielders, the catchers, some some hand sanitizer. We can just pass that around. It doesn't hurt, right? Yeah, I thought that was great, though. It was it was it was a good laugh as well. Yeah, until you uh, give the pitcher a bottle of hand sanitizer that's actually full of Vaseline, and then everyone's cheating all over again, Gaylord Perry style, <laughs> Jordan. No, I did actually get a chuckle out of that as well, and uh, it applies even more now after the announced postponements today. <laughs> I think Anthony Rizzo should make sure he uh, keeps carrying those bottles around with him. My best is, and this is a, a subject that I think is kind of near and dear to you because of your affinity for the city of Seattle, uh, but the Seattle NHL team, uh, it was announced this past week uh that their nickname would be the kraken it was received with mixed reviews a lot of people didn't think that the kraken was really a a great nickname they were disappointed in it especially with some of the other candidates Uh, i happen to really like it I, i think that that is a solid nickname i think it has scandinavian origins if i'm not mistaken uh but i think what is cool about it it is so unique and all seattle pro sports teams nicknames if if i'm again not mistaken are unique like one of a kind the seahawks the Sonics, the former NBA team, Mariners, Sounders, even the Storm. Uh, and so, yeah, g- kudos to Seattle. They're always sort of thinking with creativity. They're a little more progressive generally as a city, and I kind of like their originality here. Do you agree? Yeah, the, the, the color scheme I, I really like. I, I, I wasn't super sold on the Kraken. Uh, that was a name that had been rumored. Uh, I, I was kind of indifferent on Kraken. I, I thought there were some other names out there, Totem, Metropolitan, which was the old – hockey team name that actually won the Stanley Cup like back in the 19 teens or something like that uh but they weren't gonna bring back that nickname but the color scheme I think is smooth man uh the sweaters the jerseys that they unveiled pretty sharp pretty sharp uh you gotta have the the nautical theme in there right uh if you're gonna be a Seattle squad even the major league rugby team up there the sea wolves which is basically like a a play on on an orca or a killer whale which the logo is also pretty sweet um, is a pretty unique one, I think. Uh, yeah, Seattle sports teams, man. They, 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 they always got really good-looking logos. They always got really smooth color schemes and the nicknames. Um, I think Kraken's going to grow on me. I know some buddies that are uh, in line trying to get some uh, season tickets and whatnot. I might have to jump in on an investment uh, if, if we get the opportunity. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I like it. I like that S with the little red eye in there. I think, I think it's going to work well. Dude, I mean, just the, the marketing campaign writes itself, right? I mean, you just got the big poster on the side of a building in downtown Seattle. Like, what's cracking? Like, you know, I mean, come on, man. It's so good. Uh, obviously named after a mythical beast, uh, one that was featured in Clash of the Titans. I don't know if you watch those movies, but I watched the old one and the new one that was more recent. And that is a very intimidating creature. And so uh, you wouldn't want to play that creature in the hockey rink. No one would want to. So uh, I think the Kraken is a, is a solid nickname. All right, what's your worst? Yeah, my worst. Uh, we, we were talking about the bubble and how it's effective, uh, unless you got to leave the bubble. And the, the Clippers, for whatever reason, they've had to, you know more guys than, than normal have to leave the bubble. I think for legitimate reasons. Uh, don't get me wrong, kind of just a confluence of events. But when you leave the bubble, you should probably keep it, keep it on the down low, right? Uh, or at least uh, lay low while you're out there. Uh, and Lou Williams, one of the Clippers, who's having to go like through a two-wing quarantine now because he left, went to Atlanta, uh, to I think to attend the services of a of a recently deceased fa- family friend, uh, which you know I I totally understand. But then he was spotted 
because a guy posted on Instagram, and you probably should have a conversation with that guy, uh, having a meal at an Atlanta strip club. Um, and he said he just went there for dinner. He said it's his favorite food in all of Atlanta. He said, ask any of my friends. They'll tell you where my favorite spot to eat is. There apparently weren't any entertainers, quote unquote, uh, out and about uh, in the strip club while he went. Uh, but it's just uh, not a good look. Not a good look when you leave, you know, maybe order takeout, maybe maybe just stay in the hotel. Uh, but, yeah, the, the Clippers might be down uh, Lou Williams for at least the first couple of games of the restart, which uh, gets going later this week. Yeah, didn't he say something like they had, like, the best wings or something at this at this joint? I, I'm not sure if that's accurate. Yeah, he was big on the kitchen. Yeah, yeah. I guess Apparently they got, they, got a, they got a good cook there. Yeah, yeah. So, the, you know, the wings or whatever is, is great. I would, uh, I would be uh, wary of the oysters. All right, so my worst is Dr. Anthony Fauci with the first pitch before the Nationals-Yankees game uh, the other day. Did you see this thing? I mean, even 50 Cent was like, wow, this guy has command issues. Uh, he said he basically threw out his arm a few days prior – uh, because he was trying to practice, I guess, for the first pitch. So he played catch for the first time in decades. And so his shoulder was sore. And uh, Anthony Fauci, we don't need to hear any excuses, man. Like, it was just an abysmal, disastrous first pitch effort. Um, you know, we still respect you. We still are counting on you to feed us uh, the information that we need here through this thing. But, uh, yeah, it just um, – it was unfortunate. I, I was hoping that Fauci would put it down the pipe. But, um, no, he, he, didn't even, he didn't even keep it within the field of play. It was just a bit outside. I mean, just a, <laughs> just a little bit. Uh, I saw a great tweet. Was it Lynn Kawano of Hawaii News Now that tweeted, uh, hey, he was just trying, he was doing his job, making sure nobody caught anything. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. Kudos uh, on that call. Uh, all right. Well, we want to once again thank Bobby Webster for jumping on with us. That was a good, fun conversation. Uh, Jordan, it's been real. We want to tell everyone if you want to hit us up on Twitter, you can do so at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, or at TalkSports808. Uh, looking forward to our next chat. Jordan, have a good one, man. See you, man.